Welcome to the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor podcast, LaughBox. We have multiple hosts and multiple guests and multiple ways to think out of the box using humor. LaughBox is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. Join us for episode 120 with Jim Bob Williams, KDB, and special guest, comedian-turned-author, Mike Lucas. Yay! Welcome to LaughBox, the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. I'm Jim Bob Williams. And I'm Katie B. And today our very special guest is Mike Lucas. He's a comedian. He's an author. He's absolutely amazing. Just ask him. He'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, and I, can I have that standing ovation on? Oh, Just yes, you can. You've had the angels calling on high, too. <laughs> I'll take yeah, a guardian angel. I'll take any kind of angel that's uh, looking over my shoulder and, and has got my back. Okay, so, Mike, um, someday you'll have to autograph my copy of your book. Unfortunately, I got the electronic version. I'll just I'll type my name out and just pitch send. <laughs> but here's some things that got me excited when I started reading Fine-Tuning Your Funny Muscle. Oh, did you? Are you in book two? You got book two? Yeah, two I got ah, both books, yeah. Oh, beautiful, Bob. Yeah. I, Jim Bob, I like you already. Hey, I'm always trying to do something to improve my stand-up. Somebody's got to do it. But Absolutely. Describe your comic lens. Ah, that's a great concept. What, one of the things that, that I discovered as a comedian, I did comedy for 24 years. I started out in 1990. Back in last century, I was doing comedy. And that, that was a, a wonderful career. I, I started, I was a, a computer programmer with a corporate job. And I was holding court at my cubicle and to, to the point where my boss called me in and he said, Mike, you're doing your job well. It's just that you're not allowing others to do their job well because there's always a group of people and their heads are always laughing around your cubicle as you're working. So you might be getting your stuff done, but they're not. And then he asked me the, the question that always rang true in my head, which was, why are you here? And I had no answer for him. So what I ended up doing was I ended up auditioning for Disney MGM Studios. My mom cut out a little article that said, we're looking for comedic actors and to open up our brand new MGM studios in Orlando, Florida. So that you can tell how long ago this was. And so I was taking an acting class in Cincinnati at the time because I was searching. And then I, I found out that they wanted a, a minute audition. And so my acting coach and I said, okay, what can I do that's funny, but it takes a minute. And I was like, oh, an elevator ride. So I ended up writing a, a, a little bit that was, and I called it the Luxurvator. And it was a, in Cleveland where the audition was taking place. There's a thing called the Terminal Tower. It's a big, a, the biggest um, building in the city. And there is an elevator that goes up to the top to their, their very exquisite restaurant. So I was thinking to myself, you got to have an entertainer like for that elevator ride. That's who I'll be. So I first became the control panel engineer, which was an old character. I made, I played an old man who had, who was a, a very grumpy, and his only job was to hit the one button to go up to the very top floor. But that, but he made a big deal out of how hard this was, and so he was the first character I did. And then I had a microphone in my back pocket that was attached to nothing, 
And I introduced the entertainment for the elevator ride, the luxury vader. And then I pulled the microphone out, spun around and became this lounge singer. And I, be, I sang songs like, when we get behind closed doors. And then, <laughs> and then I had like about three songs that had to do with either being closed in or going from bottom to top. And so I just sang those songs, but I was like a lounge and I was acting as if the elevator was crowded. And then like right in the middle of a song, obviously that we got there. And so I had to stop. And then I was just, then I just got everybody out and then it came back to the old guy again. And then he was just pushing everybody out and then we'll see on the way back down. And so it turned out to be a big hit and I ended up getting the job. And so that was my first sort of entry into the world of humor and, and entertainment. I, I ended up going down to Orlando for two years. I worked at MGM Studios hosting this show called Superstar Television, where we put our, our guests into a, a, a live TV show. There was a three-camera shoot, and at the time, it was this really high technology that we would that would allow you to blue screen people into these real shows, and so it was a real fun trip for the for this for the for the customers, or I'm sorry, for the guests. You can't call Disney yeah. they're, they're guests, not customers. But I would push the edge always. I would do things like there were old people that would have the big sunglasses. And so I would introduce them as the welder from the from the from one of the other rides as they were building it. And they just got a kick out of it because I was would push the edge without ever going over the edge. And, and at Disney, that's a real commendable skill to have because it, it, it gave the it gave the show sort of a fun, edgy edge to it, but without ever going across and, and offending anybody. So that was the, the line I did. And then I, I ended up the next year working at Universal Studios, doing about five different shows where I had to fill in to, to host these various shows that would also allow the guests to come in. So I ended up getting a lot of improvisational skills. And during the day, I would do that job, or those two different jobs. And then during the night, I would go around Florida and do open miking for for a comedy and so that's where i began my comedy career was in florida and and so to get back to the idea of the lens the comedy lens i i, I remember where we were at i i ended up taking a comedy class and we had to understand what your brand is of comedy and, and i didn't really understand how important that was obviously because my first couple of ideas for that the first one i had i was the pale guy from florida and that like it, it was cute and it was, I was trying to be a, a smart aleck, but really it didn't tell the audience anything that they couldn't just see about me. It didn't really say much about my humor. And then my next one was a tall, bald comic. Again, really a, a lame uh, attempt at irony. And then what I ended up realizing when I wrote my books, Finding Your Funny Muscle and Fine Tuning Your Funny Muscle, I, I was like, one of the most important things for a new comedian to begin to understand about their own attempts at humor is like what why are you is your angle different than everyone else's otherwise you end up becoming what i call a generic corner quipper someone who's funny but we don't know why they're funny we can't relate to them they don't have their humor doesn't reveal anything personal about their journey and their struggles so we we, we might laugh but we don't remember them and we don't stick with them so in my in my book what i what really wanted to to begin to uh, focus on for new comedians is to begin to discover your comedy lens and i do that by asking certain number of questions like what are some personal truths about you so then i begin to get those answers from especially the people i coach now and it begins to reveal what it is about them that, that they want to uh, launch their humor from. And then by, by identifying that comedy lens that's more specific to who you are, you begin to be more relatable, more original, and therefore more memorable and more funny. So my lens ended up evolving into, I, I'm call, I, I call myself the clumsy Aspie hole. 
And so if, if you know anything about uh, uh, neurodiversity, uh, you know that on the uh, uh, autism spectrum, they used to have something called Asperger's and they don't really do that anymore. We were outdated. And my joke is um, I've never been uh, diagnosed with Asperger's, but I've been accused of it often. And that it, mostly by my wife who has been diagnosed as ADHD. And so the thing I say about Asperger's, what we like to do is we like to notice and notify, and we like to interject and correct. And none of it is solicited. It's all unsolicited information that you're giving. And quite often what it ends up being is a little bit annoying and, and you come across a little bit gruff. And we, I, I say, if, if a normal human has 64 emotional crayons, we got about five. And the big one is red. It's a lot of anger and a lot of jealousy and, and a lot of frustration. And the humor comes from, for me, is I'm clumsy. I end up setting the bar really high for the world, but I can't reach it myself. So I end up constantly, it backfires on me. And the joke is I can't measure up the way I expect the world to. And so a lot of my humor, what I really, and when I realized when I went back and I backtracked to some of my original humor that was, that I got on TV and the things that were most successful in my stage show, all of those had that element of the clumsy ass people. It's like, for instance, in the book, Jim Bob, you probably know that the bit I talk about the bed seduction, that's yeah. a big a, a bit I did on the Tonight Show. And the idea was that my bed seduces me back into it because I, I'm, I'm trying to get up and start my day, but my bed is so tempting that I, I can't help it. So then I, the joke is the conversation back and forth between me and my bed to, to where the finally climaxes with me snoring and snoozing and being back in bed. But truly, it was just the clumsy Aspie hole who was too hungover to get up and face his day, making excuses why it's not my fault. Hey, I wanted to be there at the radio station, but my bed's a whore. But so that that ended up being my comedy lens. And now I'm when I write humor and, and I create humor, I have that idea in mind. So a lot of the things I create now are visual for my website, funnymuscle.com. And I have a series of clumsy Aspie hole videos where it's me, it's like a back and forth between me and another character. And it's typically me just describing a normal, like I went to the grocery store. It was great. I just, I walked to the, I, I parked my car. I, I talked to the security guard and then you cut each time you're cutting back to, oh my God, the, the clerk is, is, this guy's amazing. Like he, he almost ran over these old people who were trying to park up front. They, I, I think they might be dead. And he was yelling at the security guard going, where's my spot? Where's my... And so what the, the philosophy behind that is things don't, aren't, don't always go the way that we think they go. As an Aspie hole, sometimes the world interprets it a little bit differently. So I have a, another one where I'm trying to make a call to my pharmacy and another one where I'm trying to drive to my doctor and I almost kill the, there's a, a bike messenger. And so that, so anyway, so that in a nutshell is, is my comedy lens is why I created it. And then with the clients that I coach, that's the first thing that I, I help them to understand to help them differentiate their humor from everyone else's. I really like that. I really like that concept because, you know, it talk, sometimes you talk about a comic persona. Okay, so Foster Brooks was the slurring drunk or whatnot, but he really wasn't a drunk in real life. The persona is funny, but it's not having a lens as an alcoholic would give a totally different light and add so much more depth, realism, and relatability to sure. it. Sure. You know. Yeah, Foster Brooks is old school, right? So he he's yeah. like a lot, a lot of, and back then they were basically exchanging joke jokes and adding their own yeah. touch to them. And it, nowadays, is, if you're doing comedy now, you just, you can't do that. You have to really have an original take and, 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 and like ever since Lenny Bruce, like observational yeah. comedy just began to become incredibly important because... Mm -hmm. 
we realized that um, comedy can be more than just like the recitation of jokes. It can also be a revelation of who you are. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I really believe in is that comedy is transformation. And Viola Spolin, she's the, yeah. the godmother of improvisation. What was her quote? She says, the heart of improvisation is transformation. And that's what I really believe that comedy does is, and, and I'm sure it, it, since you guys both your whole life revolves around this organization about bringing humor to people, then you understand what I mean, which is comedy, what comedy directly combats is struggle. We struggle in life. Life is difficult. Life is difficult for all of us in different ways. And when you can transform a struggle into a laugh, that's a gift. That's a, a real thing to do for people because most people who are too busy to laugh at their struggles. But when you as a comedian can say, oh, I struggle with traffic. I struggle raising my kids. I struggle just trying to make a living. And then you go get more specific with your lens and show them how that happens. It transforms from that into ha, and that's a relief. And that dopamine of relief is a gift. And I feel like that's what people like us do for the world. I think we should make some bumper stickers out of that last sentence yeah. there's a lot, right? yeah. a lot of gems of truth in there wow. yeah it's beautiful yeah i love I, comedy is such a beautiful thing it, it really like it, it, it seems so simple and like like we throw it away as if it's a useless thing or if it, as if it's a, an invaluable part of our world and like it, it wouldn't even be the frosting on the cake it would be the sprinkles and really it's the cake and the sprinkles and the frosting together and because it, it changes people and it, it changes your day. It changes your attitude. And when you can change and uplift that, that is, you, you get that back in, in a hundredfold. And it really, I, it's amazing that when I go out in public still and make people laugh just in, in the elevator or I'm standing in line waiting to get something. It's really fantastic because it, it's a really shock to these people. It doesn't happen to them a lot. And it happens to me every day. So it doesn't surprise me. But I can see the transformation in their, I guess, their energy. Like they go from being focused on what's not good. And then they laugh about the fact that it's a silly thing that we're sharing. And then they walk away a different person. They walk away a little lighter. And I think that to me is so valuable. I took a stand-up class. And when I debuted, I was told to tell what my lens was and I don't look like it anymore right now but I was a cross between Wonder Woman and Strawberry Shortcake oh I like that, I like that. <laughs> Wonder Woman and Strawberry Shortcake yeah th those are it's funny because that like they're both made up things but we know exactly what those entail because a Wonder Woman I, I think of a Wonder Woman as somebody who's a, a superhero who has the fun joke is the invisible plane so that's funny <laughs> <laughs> and strawberry shortcake I like because I have a daughter. I have a 14-year-old daughter. And anytime there's anything that has that element of light fun for, for girls, um, and I guess for boys too, like nowadays I, I've learned with a, having a son as well, that you cannot pigeonhole anyone. Mm -hmm. Like strawberry shortcake is equally for boys too. And, and yeah. But it, it brings a lightness to, to the world and, and a color, like the color palette. I like the color palette. Yeah, yeah my hair, I had pink dreadlocks. Oh, that's what's it like to have hair just tell me that for a little bit oh it's lots of i've been bald too by the way have you done have and you shaved your head before i have yeah i worked it with a german troupe and we did african dance and butoh japanese dance on stilts oh, and so we all had to be bald for that and i, I enjoy, enjoyed it i kept it for a while yeah it doesn't it something doesn't it change just it's a i'm i was losing my hair i was getting male pattern baldness and so 
I have, I have like, a, I have that thing where it looks like an epiglottis. I always say that my hair was retreating backwards, like slowly, you know, retreat, the follicles are no good up front no more. Born and raised in the front of the forehead. That's where we're live and die, this little circle. And for, I had a wig for a week. I had a hair piece literally for one week. I went to the hair club for men in Chicago and I couldn't, I couldn't live with a fake hair piece on it felt like i was like lying to everyone and the, the the moment i knew that this could not be was when i i hooked up with a person a woman after the, one of my shows and we were making out and she kept trying to run her hands through my hair and i was pushing it down like a teen like not wanting to be felt up and i was like this is not gonna work this is not gonna work that same weekend i was going driving to a gig with a, another guy jimmy wiggins i don't know if you remember jimmy wiggins but he was the last hippie in america was his moniker and he was fantastic but he did he couldn't drive so if you're working with jimmy you're driving so i'm driving with my big i had mel gibson hair that's how cocky i got about my fake hair piece i didn't even just like a no i just i had like a big lethal weapon five hair it was wonderful it was like it was, and it, it was a good job and so then when we got to the gig, Jimmy, the whole time we're talking and if Jimmy, son, and I call you son, cause who knows? That's his kind of humor. And so <laughs> we get to the gig and I rushed to my room. I, I knew I was going to shave it off, but I only had a, a tiny, like little, like a ear or a, a, a sideburn trimmer. So I had to shave off. Because I don't know if you know much about wig work, but uh, in terms of hair pieces, but they have clips that go into your real hair and they yes. glue it around. So you have to unclip, rip off the thing. And then all the hair that the half Mel Gibson I was sporting after that was gone, I had to shave it off with this little clipper, but the show was like in an hour. So I managed to get like most of it off, but then I had a baseball cap on. And then when I, but so when I walked through the hallway with my bald head, with the little kind of like a rat tail in the back that was still needed to be trimmed, I passed by Jimmy Wiggins in the hallway and he was like, good evening, sir. And walked right past me, didn't even recognize me. So I was like, oh, this is gonna be fun. So then I did the show, but then just to close that, put a button on that story, I still had $1,200 I owed on this wig at the hair club. So I, I'm a comic. I don't have $1,200. So I'm like, I'm getting out of this one. So I go to the hair club for men that Monday. I have my hair in a pile uh, in my thing with my shaved head. I walk into the waiting room where there's a half a dozen other guys who are waiting to get this procedure. So they whisked me right past all of them. I was like, <laughs> my God, what happened? So I made up this story about how the someone in the audience had understood that I was wearing a wig and made fun of me and called attention to it and embarrassed me and humiliated me in front of my crowd. I can't have this. I And, and so I threw the thing down on the desk and I said, I refuse to pay for the balance of this. And I... <laughs> And then she was like, so she pulls out a Ziploc bag and picks it up, puts the thing in the Ziploc bag and closes it up. And she's like, we'll keep this on file in case you decide to change your mind. I will never change my mind. <laughs> and from that point, I was bald. <laughs> and I can imagine there's a filing cabinet in Chicago somewhere that's got this bulge. That's what I was picturing. L, L, here we go. Here we go. All right. Here's your little raccoon. Oh, it was so funny. I was, I think I was 25 at the time, 20, something like that. Who knows? Maybe Mel Gibson wants that back now. That would, you know, That's true. That's true. I could sell that to him. He's starting to go a little thin too. So it's the same color. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That and uh, just uh, for our legal department, all these events occurred more than seven years ago. So we're way past the statute of limitations. I, I don't lie anymore, but to get out of uh, paying money uh, that I owe, just so you know, <laughs> that was a, a, young, a young man's move. 
that's funny. Yeah, I, 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 that was so funny because the look on everyone else in that waiting room's face was just like, oh, wait, what? something, someone very wrong here. But then the rest of the time, like I've had this shaved head and I've really enjoyed it. It's It's been really wonderful to do wig work with because now I have a series of wigs and be I'm someone who's clowned. Like it, wigs are, are an amazing way to transform your look. And I typically now, I, like I, I, on these podcasts, my first I guess on a podcast, my first inclination is always to show up with a wig and then to whip it off to, just to shock everybody. But I came to realize that there's it's not like on TV where you walk out and you're on. There's always this five or 10 minute period beforehand. And I, I began to realize that it's a very awkward moment if, to have that and to put people through that. But yeah, is you don't have the element of surprise quite as easily. Right? <laughs> and, and with wig work, you got to have that. But I love yeah. what I love about wigs is it really transforms your whole. It's like a mask. It transforms your personality. And what I begin to do, I realize, is that you can wear wigs differently. Like you can wear them backwards, and it looks like now all of a sudden you've got these weird bangs that kind of are in the front. You can wear them. You can puff it up, and now you can look different. So you can wet it down and, and look nerdy. And so one wig goes a long way for me. <laughs> yeah, and when you're me, one big long bunch of hair also oh. can be morphed right. into many things i'm jealous of your dreadlocks i'd like to, the my son is accidentally getting some dreadlocks just simply from refusing to brush his hair that's mm. there's, there's dreadlocks by choice and it's dreadlocks <laughs> by proxy yeah it's funny when, when people do any kind of a hair restoration thing what they're not counting on is time because even what i realized with the hair club for men wig that I was wearing is that it would require monthly maintenance. So I'd have to, cause your hair grows and then the combs slip and then everything starts getting shaky. And then it looks different on your head than it did in the, in, in the store. <laughs> so you have to, there's like a maintenance and that costs money. And then I was like, oh my God, this is like having a, a Rolls Royce. I can't afford this. Okay. So I have a question. Sure. Okay. You retired from stand up in 2014. Yeah. What you've been doing for 10 years. Nothing. Absolutely. I just, I'm not going to be funny anymore. No, what, what ended up happening was I, I ended up having kids. And as Steve Martin says, comedy is a young man's game because what, what to do the work I was doing, you had to travel. And what I found was that as you have children and you leave them, they forget that you're even in their life. I, I would come back after two or three weeks of work and I'd be like, hey, it's me, dad. And my kids are like, remind me? Mm. Oh, I'm the guy that was here. Yeah, I, I build things. Not really, but I, I, I like to think I do. But And so I very quickly, when I, I saw that look in my daughter's eye, when, when I was first a parent, I realized, oh, this isn't going to work anymore. Because is, is to do comedy, you have to really enjoy the all of it. You have to enjoy traveling. You have to enjoy showing up to a new club every week. You have to enjoy meeting a new crowd of people every night and embracing them and, and connecting with them and afterwards. And then you have to meet a new crew of club workers every week. And that took a lot of energy to be away and do that. And when you don't have anything to return to, it's easy because that's your world and your world shifts every week to a new place. And it was wonderful as a young man. And then when I had a wife, it got a little bit more challenging, but she was also a professional entertainer. She did radio back in, in LA. And so then it was okay because we were away and we were back and, and we were two adults and it was fine. The second I had my baby girl, I was like, oh, everything just changed. And so I was like, I tried to make it work for a little while. And then I was like, I did, I'm going to miss the best parts of this experience if I continue doing this. So I said, 
what's another way to use my humor in order to make a living? And I was like, I could write. I can begin to learn how to write because I've always been a writer, but I would write jokes. But a long time ago, I started writing like like short stories and, and I, I realized I really enjoy writing. And so I began to just every day and I began to train myself with classes and with with just I did what I call the the million word challenge. I challenged myself to write a million words before I ever tried to make a living doing it. So every day I would do about 2,000, 2,500 words of just blah. And eventually I began to realize, here's how to do this. And so I started getting work as a SEO content writer. There's a lot of marketing involved with that. I, I did a, a stint with a, a company called Copy Chief. I did a stint as a... NFL gambling, gambling writer. When it became legal to gamble on the NFL, I started writing articles based on that. It was all a lot of content to bring traffic into these different worlds. And so that's the professional money-making way of, of writing that I adapted. And then I started writing this book, Finding Your Funny Muscle, back when I was at Second City in Vegas, when I was doing shows there. And I couldn't figure out how I wanted to write the book. So I put it on the back burner. And then I started coaching some new comedians. And through that and a couple of other things, I just got a breakthrough. I go, oh, here's how this book goes. And then I just, I hammered it out like in, in three months. I was just like, boom, and it was done. And then I, I came up with fine-tuning your funny muscle, which is I say if if being funny was driving, book one teaches you what a car is. Book two teaches you how to cruise around town. And then I have book three coming up, which is flexing your funny muscle. And book three is basically tells you when and when not to drive. Sometimes it's best to get the heck out of the car because no one's in the mood they'll have. And, and it also teaches you how to deal with hecklers and haters. Also teaches you how to develop a style as opposed to, because like your comedy lens tells you what angle you're taking. Your style tells you how you're going to deliver that comedy. And you have to be very clear on both of those. And both of those have to be very authentic to who you are and how your humor works so that you can begin to to be, I guess, more realistic on stage as opposed to the, the corner quipper. So now what I do is I write these books and then I also coach. I'm a, a comedy coach. So I do one-on-one -on -one Zoom coaching with, I have a bunch of clients. And so that's how I'm, I'm making my living. Now. So it's been a, a long journey though, Jim Bob, that, in answer to your question. It was very scary. And then now I'm actually want to get back on stage and start. To, my kids are old enough now. They're 14 and 11. So they're old enough now where I realize that they don't want me as much. Maybe go away for a week. That might be nice just to get you our <laughs> hair. So now it's become, I almost have permission to get back on stage again. So now I'm busy trying to work up my act again and update it and get some newer, um, with my new lens, some newer material. Max Score is my pseudonym. It's a, those are the short stories I do. These are <laughs> deliciously twisted short stories. And I didn't, I, they're not necessarily for humor, but the, the Max Gore is the pseudonym I use to, to obviously it's Maximum Gore. So a lot, they're a lot more, they're twisted. Like for instance, one of them is about a zookeeper who ends up having, they, they get busted for having an affair with one of the animals with a crocodile. So there's like a, 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 a you're not sure no exactly. crocodiles were harmed in the writing of this story. No, not, not, yeah. not at all as you can tell i'm i'm more i i act out things i i do a lot of um character voices i do a lot of different perspectives and stuff and i couldn't ever figure out how to take the premise setup punchline format and make it work for me yeah. so i've upgraded it to have the comedy lens included in that and also Peter McGraw's concepts on benign violation which is yeah. you set something up 
and then you benignly violate that idea, that normalcy that you that you get the audience to expect in a way that surprises them, but still satisfies that setup. And then the way I teach people to do that is through using these 36 humor heightening devices. And these are what professionals always use anyways. And I began to assemble this list from like back when I was a comedian, back with, I don't know if Kostaki Kostaki Economopolis, he, he he goes by the he says I'm the biggest name in show business because <laughs> he's a he's a guy out of Indianapolis and he came up with the first list of uh, maybe ten or twelve of these things and so I began I, I he let me use that and then uh, I began to build on that and these are things like like I'll give you a couple of examples like anthropomorphizing I love to turn inanimate objects give them a voice and give them a personality for instance my bed trying to seduce me back into it oh Michael I want you in me but not right now or my alarm clock get your butt out of bed you gotta go to work and you hate your job huh? <laughs> so now things in my life have a personality and a voice and I can have conversations back and forth with them. So that's a heightening device that, that comics will use in order to yes and uh, a, a punchline that they've already done. Uh, other things are like you comics will use obviously exaggeration and irony and things like that. Uh, things like different perspective. I love different perspectives. If I'm going to do a bit about traffic, it's fun, to, of course, to have my perspective. Like I'm frustrated to be in stuck in traffic. So that's my perspective. But a different perspective might be, what about the kids in the back seat of the guy whose car stalled? What's their perspective? What about the perspective of the guy who's waiting to cross the street, but I'm nervously back and forth, mm -hmm. um, not sure whose who's turn is it kind of thing. So a different perspective is great because now all of a sudden you get the other side of the story. And a lot of humor comes from that because we're all so tied up in what we think. It's sometimes funny and, and literally empathetic to figure out how other people think. So there's all sorts of like negative to positive. There, there's a, that's a heightening device. It's fun mm -hmm. to use. So I just did a whole um, article about why I love to be sick. Because I, I just got over a sickness. And so I was doing things like um, free mucus. I got access to Mother Nature's bubble gum. <laughs> and so, so it takes a negative and turns it into a positive. And it becomes funny because... Because you, we wouldn't think that would be a positive at all, but through through this heightening, you do that. So there's 36 of those that we that I help people understand how to use. And then when you begin to practice those and flex that muscle, as, as I say, then you begin you get better at them, and they begin to occur to you organically, as opposed to having to go through it as an exercise. So Jim Bob, you've read both of his books. Yeah, I'm in the pro I one and in the process of reading the second. Okay. okay. If you were to ask Mike Lucas anything, based on what you've read that is like the the hanging question in your mind, mm. what might that be? Oh, there's so many. There's so many here. The first thing is, I knew you had to have some type of a tech background, because only a tech person is going to systematize exactly. the creative process. Okay? Right? And, yeah, and it, it, I have a, it's funny because I, a management information system was my major and, and what MIS is the, it's like the guy that's in between the tech people and the users. And I have to understand both worlds enough yeah. to be able to explain it either way. I have to tell the people who are using the system how to use it. And I have to tell the tech people what the uses are of it, but use their vernacular. So yeah, that's funny, Jim Bob. That's exactly because you're an engineer. You, you recognize another linear mind when you smell it. And have you met Andrew Tarvin yet? I have not, no. You have to, okay. Andrew Torvin is, he was an engineer. 
went to The Ohio State University, worked yes. for Procter & Gamble, found that humor made him more effective at work. And, uh, and he has a TEDx talk on use of humor, which Ooh. has over 9 million hits. It's amazing, okay? Yeah. Humorthatworks.com, one of my comedy heroes. The only thing that I resent about Andrew is that I should have had that idea when I was an engineer. And yeah. So yeah, that, that's I, how you know it's a good idea. Is it, you, yeah. cause it, is you were like, oh, why didn't I think of that? Ah, of course. Yeah, and in our society, we really prioritize maximizing profits over joy. And I think that shift is beginning to, we're, gonna, we're realizing that the profits aren't bringing us happiness. And when you, you see these rich people who are offing themselves or rich people that, that, that are angry and that are grabby, 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 and, and, and it's, it, their lives aren't enviable. And my kids are looking at those people and like, oh, I don't want to be like that. I don't want, I want, there's a better way. And then there's so much more education and so much more emphasis on what we're talking about that it's, I feel very hopeful that it's beginning to head in that direction, but it's through people like you and us that we're trying to really re-establish new priorities in this society and joy. Yeah. And one of my favorite quotes, Lee Harris Energy is the Instagram account that said, heart is the new currency. Heart is the new currency. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And uh, I've seen that affect people in Africa as I'm on these, some of these Zoom meetings and stuff, and it's powerful. And it's what I feel like we need right now. And it's not going to be instantaneous because it's an evolution. And you, Mike Lucas, you're doing the same with your Nichiren Buddhism. Yeah, I really feel like that's true. It's a slow roll, but like when you are trying to retrain an entire society, it's not going to be fast. And, and it's okay. It's okay because it's baby steps. But it's wild. It's, it's That's what I love about the algorithm is we tap into any of these social media places and start to be interested in this type of thing. All of a sudden, everyone else that's interested in this starts to pop up. And I, I, I was like, whoa, I didn't realize how many other people are into cause and effect, into joy, into like anti profiteering and, and pro laughter and it just like you suddenly see and a lot of these are younger faces they're, they're kids from australia and kids that, that are just in their 20s and they're talking as if they have this wisdom and i'm impressed by it and i'm excited and i'm very hopeful by it, by it. yeah and that's going to be your kids soon yeah, amazing yeah yeah and and their kids hopefully and yeah it's pretty wild how my kids don't have a bone of racism in their body. They don't have a bone of judgmentalness, judge, whatever judgment. And they're they're just so different than I am. But and it was raised like we, we there was a real poo to the anything that didn't make money. And and now we realize that money's important to to survive, but it's not important to thrive in terms of emotionally. A couple of questions here that we need to ask. So, sure, Mike. If someone is looking for you or looking for your services, where should they go? It's easy. You go to Mike at funnymuscle.com. That's my email address that is open to everybody. I even in the books, I open up to anyone who needs help with their comedy lens. And that's how I've gotten a lot of my clients is I open that up and I help them for free because that's I'm a comedy geek and I just love to help people get closer to their comedy goals. And then I end up working with them one-on-one -on -one because they enjoyed what the head start that I got them with. My website, funnymuscle.com, is a, a perfect resource to find anything about me. And, and it tells you about my history, about my comedy, about my books that I've done and are doing. 
And if you need to get a hold of me, that's the best way to do it. Funnymuscle.com. And, and it was funny in, in the beginning. It's it's so funny how people resist anything that, that's new or different because everyone was like, it's funny bone, not funny muscle. Why, why would you do that? That's confusing. And, uh, I don't get it. I don't get it. And and I was like, like, if you think about it, funny isn't like a bone. A bone is rigid and breaks and it's a, it's like a, it's hard and resists and i said funny is a muscle man funny like it it, it moves around and it, it contracts and expands and as you work it it grows bigger so like it makes perfect sense that it's a funny muscle and so at least that's what i, I tell them <laughs> to, to shut them up jim bob's gonna have a question in a second that he asks every time right and is there anything we missed mike lucas asking you about I don't think so. I, I really like this conversation. I, I like, but my my favorite thing is with the combining of worlds. I think it, part of what makes things funny is when you can bring unlikely worlds together. And one of the examples I use in the books is uh, the frog bank. It's like a frog's not really that funny and a bank's not that funny. But when you combine frog bank, now all of a sudden your mind starts working into funny things like a bunch of frogs standing in line with their, instead of money, they've got worms and they've got flea, flies. And, 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 and now that now you can can begin to yes and that idea of that yeah. combining of worlds and our conversation is a i love that it's a combination of comedy and humor but also life and joy and the idea of of yes anding and heightening the the joy in this world and so to me that's if i could emphasize what's important in my world it's the idea of yes anding it's the idea of listening on all levels, not just to what someone's saying, but why they're saying it and how they're saying it and when they're saying it and what context. And then to be okay with whatever they're saying, to not fight it. What we tend to do as new comedians is we go, yeah, but, or wouldn't this be better? Because I have an idea. And in improv, what we're taught is to yes and something. So you listen to what they're saying, you accept it as true, and then you add to it, you heighten it, you make it bigger and better. And that to me is the key to life because we're not listening to each other. We're really just trying to force our voice into the world. And when you can begin to heighten and yes, and other people's ideas, it's synergy. We're creating one plus one is three, man. So let's begin to think that way. Amazing. So I have a question. This is, we're in the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. I guess the biggest part of this is how do you apply it? How do you use it? So my question for you, how would you tell your son or daughter or actually anybody in the universe, how should they use humor on Thursday, any given Thursday? I would say that the first of all, you have to be aware of the fact that you can be funny, that humor is a, a possibility. What we tend to do is we're so busy that we forget that there's time for laughter. So I would always say to anyone that that begin to make more time for humor because humor can be easily skipped over. If you're in the middle of a, a traffic jam, it's very easy to just be frustrated. But when you have the the gift of humor, you can begin to to see from other perspectives and other other angles of a, a frustrating situation, and then suddenly it becomes funny. And funny is the release of tension. And to me, as somebody who gets migraines, as somebody who's socially anxious, as are my kids and as are a lot of people nowadays, humor breaks that apart. 
And I, I, like, I think the key truly, Jim Bob, is, to, is, is being a better listener. We, we have to really begin to focus on listening. And listening is, is a lot more complicated than, than we might make it because, but then it's much more simple than we might make it. It's complicated because we think that listening means I heard the words you said and I'm going to respond to those. And, yeah. and that, that seems pretty simple, but it's complicated because what you say has context to it. What you say depends on who you are saying it because the the things that you might utter in the in, in line at, at Walmart might the words themselves might be come uh, might have a different meaning because of who you are saying them whether you're a yeah. a, a guy who's got too many bags that is getting frustrated or if you're a guy who's got no bags and 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 feels like insecure about your lack of purchases there's ways that we can begin to look and listen to everyone else and i think that was like if i was going to tell anyone on any given thursday begin to really put yourself in other people's shoes and begin to see things from that point of view and especially your own BS. When, when, when I begin to look at myself in, in my own clumsy aspie wholeness from others' perspective, it becomes funny to me because I'm like, wow, what's it like to have me in your world? That's got to be rough. <laughs> Interjecting and correcting constantly. Like, oh, actually, to, to be honest. And like that that's, to me, what what's key is being a better listener. Because I, I know that when I was beginning my improv classes, that was the one thing I really needed to work on yeah. was I was like, oh, I'm, I, I thought listening was the amount of time you have to wait till you get to speak again. That's not yeah. what it is. It's about hearing the other person's heart and soul and where they're coming from and responding to that emotion as opposed to those words. Excellent advice. All right. Okay. And of course, we all know what the most important thing about comedy is. Yeah. Buy a funny hat. You got to get a, you got to get a funny hat. No, no. What is the most important thing? Oh yeah. No, you got it. <laughs> Wait, I'm ready. Hold on. Oh, I got you guys off guard. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, if, if it didn't still have uh, my medication and I would lick it and make it stick on my toilet paper is what you need. Actually. Toilet paper. Yes, it is. <laughs> Especially so during is, COVID. What is, right, oh, what is the key, Jim Bob? I want to know. I need the answer. Timing. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping that was going to be what you did. <laughs> Okay, it's not an original joke, but I just love using it. I love it. That's uh, like an old Steve Martin. Uh, you timing. It's timing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, timing is perfect. Yes. And you have a book coming out. When? I have my. I have three books that are out. I have Finding Your Funny Muscle and Fine Tuning Your Funny Muscle are already out, and those are available. And I have the audio, the ebook, paperback, and audio version of the first book, and the second one is about to have the audio version released. I also have the third book is going to be released, hopefully by the end of this year, Flexing Your Funny Muscle in all those same avenues, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, Google Books, and all that stuff. And then I have another book available. It's called Max Score Presents Frog Belly Beans, 14 Deliciously Twisted Short Stories. And I love this book. These are stories that I've just, are they're just weird and they're fun. I started writing these when I was in Chicago back in the 90s. And I finally, like, I hired an editor and I got every, I got them to the, to where I'm really happy with them. And it's a fun little book and I would uh, recommend that one as well. So all those are Amazing. available at bookstores. All right. Cool. By the way, also, you deserve joy because you're on earth because we have, it, it's such a, a bizarre journey. 
Yeah. Here's a little life. Yeah. Hey. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll, so the card uh, says you deserve joy just because you're on earth. And Mike Lucas wants to change this to you need joy just because you're on earth. And I agree with you right there. Yeah, I think both are true. I think we need it, but we also deserve it. And that's, yeah. you know, that's hard to allow yourself to deserve something, something especially mm-hmm. something like that, because it's, boy, a lot of people, it just doesn't occur to them to be funny. And yeah. but I've also realized that there's so many people are a lot funnier than you realize if you take the time to have yeah. them like Katie B does yeah. and, you have to stop and you have to have the gut. It takes courage to be funny. It really does. It's very scary because the idea of trying to be funny and then failing is a very scary thought. And, and some people would rather just not be funny to avoid the risk of it not going well. And as far as I'm concerned, so what does Norm McDonald say? Being funny is when you try when you try to do something and it doesn't work is often funny. So the mere nature of trying to be funny and it not working is funny in itself. So it's going to be funny either way. (laughs) All right. So you're going to read this. This is uh, people's homework. And then of course their homework really from this podcast is to look for you, but Oh no, I dropped it. (laughs) There you go. Spread some joy. And compliment a stranger today. Isn't that a great compliment? Yeah. And it's funny how easy that is and how we, we think that to compliment a stranger is difficult, but hairstyle, outfit, energy, mm-hmm. just going up to someone and go, you have the best energy. Boy, I walked around you and I just wanted to smile. Just saying yep. something like that makes someone go, oh, well, you know. It's true. It's so true. You're right. Hilarious. Your mm-hmm. eyes are so blue. Something oh. they have no control over. They didn't choose it. They didn't decide to dress that way. No. Your eyes. And right. they go, huh? Whoa. No. I, 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 they can't believe they've been noticed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Mike, what are your last words? Uh, my last words is thank you for this conversation. It was very valuable to me. I And, and thank you to anyone who's curious. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I looks like I'm making a literal heart, like a square that's like a piece of meat that pumps blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And it goes bunk, 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 bunk. But I I guess, yeah, my final words would be to seek laughter. It it, it really is healing. And in not like you were saying, the reciprocal nature of it, it feels good to make people laugh and it feels good to laugh. So it's a free dopamine. So take it back. Yeah, exactly. This has been Laugh Box, the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. We'd like to thank our guest, Mike Lucas. Yeah, amazing person. You've got to go to funnymuscle.com and learn all you can about him. You'll be glad you did. And so on behalf of AATH, I'm Jim Bob Williams. And I'm Katie B. Good night and keep laughing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. That was wonderful. That was fun. That was a great time. Thank you. Yeah, very fabulous. Thank you for joining us for episode 120 with Jim Bob Williams, Katie B, and the amazing Mike Lucas. Thank you very much. Laugh Box is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. 
This has been Laugh Box, brought to you by the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, and we'll see you next time.